You're listening to the Footnotes Podcast, the weekly sermon companion from the teaching team at Real Life. This is a chance to dig a little deeper, chase a few rabbit trails, and touch on some topics that the team may have not been able to fit into their Sunday sermons. We hope this provides a glimpse behind the scenes at the discussion that helps form each week's message. Welcome Footnotes. I know it's been a long time. You've missed us. I'm Paul Patterson, the youth coach here at Real Life at the Moscow campus. We got Derek Murphy with us today. How's it going, guys? And Aaron Couch. Hello. And Marty Solomon. Hey, everybody. Marty, where'd you just get back from? All over the place. But I just got back from Israel and Turkey most recently. So you are full of inspiration and... Full of it. Full of it. I am full of it. We all do that. Full of it. It. Hey, sorry it's been a while without uh, just with the Without Wall series and the summer schedule. It's been hectic and crazy. We have heard your pleas and cries to do this. So we're back at it. Hopefully we'll try to uh, be a little bit more consistent. So this week with Romans 11, kind of finishing out this section, um, I know uh, as we were talking earlier with Marty and Derek, uh, we were wanting to do a quick, huge overview from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11 to set up next week. As such, we weren't really able to fully touch on everything Paul's doing and how Paul's actually wrapping up a smaller section as well between 9 and 11. So we want to touch on that a little bit. Uh, chapter 9, uh, do you have that open, Marty? I do have it open. Uh, Paul starts off asking a, a very specific question that he's been wrestling with for the past three cha- uh, four. He's been wrestling with through chapter 9, 10, and 11, and we're wrapping it up this week. Um, you want to tell us what that question is? Well, um, I don't know what one you might be gunning for, but he starts very early uh, in verse 6 of chapter 9 by saying, it's not as though the word of God had failed. And he's going to go on. uh, I think there's a question kind of behind that statement. Like, if this is what God is doing, if God is, if God's bringing everybody in because we're all justified by faith, no matter who we are, uh, it seems like God wasted his time with all that Old Testament stuff seemed like God was wasting his time with all of that if he's just going to throw the doors open to everybody. And Paul's going to go on this little three-chapter argument that, in fact, this is exactly what God has been doing from the very beginning. And there might even be some more questions you're thinking of in there. But uh, that's what Paul's going to be doing here in this section, if I understand it correctly. Well, and another thing I see, almost exactly what you said, but a little bit more specific maybe, is uh, if God, if we're throwing the doors open for everyone, and if that action has caused the Israelites to re- to reject it and to leave, then doesn't that seem counterintuitive? Is that just on God's part? Did he just abandon his people? And he's going to wrestle with all those types of questions from different angles. Um, and one thing we mentioned earlier when we were discussing this is Paul doesn't actually come to any pretty resolved answers. Uh, and so this week when we read... Um, kind of his benediction oh the depth the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor who has ever given to God that God should repay him for uh, for from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever amen he kind of rap- he kind of ends on this note of just coming back and trusting in his God um and so when we look at the potter illustration, when we talk about Pharaoh or Elijah, um, or this week the, the grafting of the tree, Paul's 
ultimately trying to come back and try, while he's wrestling with the text and he's wrestling with the story and he's wrestling with what he knows about God, he ultimately comes back to, I need to trust my God. Yeah, and, and what I love about what's going on in chapter 9 is he keeps, like I think the reason that Paul's able to rest on that is because he keeps going back to his own story and saying, this is completely consistent with who God's always been. And mm-hmm. for him, he goes back to you know, Isaac and Jacob and Esau, and he says, that, that makes no sense. So you talk about counterintuitive, but Paul goes back to this counterintuitive story of yeah. Esau's the guy that follows the rules, Esau's the firstborn before, he's the guy that's supposed to have, and Jacob, there's nothing about it. Like Jacob ends up being blessed and he's deceitful, and, but this is, God has consistently been a God who um, wants to show mercy on those that we would say don't deserve it. Uh, and he says in Romans 9, he says, uh, the older, uh, speaking of Jacob and Esau, um, well, let me go back here. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, what I find interesting is we always focus on the hated part. Yeah. Like Esau's hated, Esau's hated. But that's clearly not Paul's point. Clearly, Paul's point is that Jacob is loved. <laughs> uh, because he goes on to say, What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Like, got this whole point that Paul's making is the mercy of God, not the hatred of God. Well, even like with this week... And so once again, it's, it's so important we take this whole thing in context. We don't just look at 9 and not just 10. But like this week, he says, uh, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as the election is concerned, they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. Like Paul still brings it back t- to love. Like even though they are rejecting, even though they might be Esau in some sense right now, they are, they are still elect and as such, they are still loved. Right. Which is an interesting statement, right? For the sake of the gospel, they are enemies. One of the only ways that I can make that make sense in my head is if the gospel is like what Aaron's been writing about in his most recent, uh, one of his most recent blog posts about the gospel. If the gospel is the announcement of a kingdom, like there's a new kingdom here, and it's a kingdom where your, your, your brokenness can be taken care of and all the things that he spoke to us about there, but if the gospel is the announcement of a new kingdom, then these people, okay, that makes sense. These people are are enemies because they're working against the advancement of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. However, you were chosen for the sake of election. You were chosen, people of God, for this purpose, that they might find a place of belonging within the within the family of God. Mm-hmm. And now that verse makes more sense to me as I look at that. And then he ends with, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Which goes back to our Jewish story and our Jewish roots. Right. Right. It makes me think about when I was in Bible college, one of our professors who all four of us had actually uh, made this statement. I never forgot it. Election may not so much be about salvation, but more about service. We're elected to service, not necessarily salvation. I don't know. Something to think about as far as being enemies of us for the gospel's sake, does that mean 
that they're out? Have they lost their election? Or was that the purpose that they were used for to draw the Gentiles in? Right. And I, I often sometimes think that we overdevelop these words. Like we, we try to define them almost too much and sometimes we should actually simplify them down. Like I... Because you see, Paul, you, well, you see the word election used for individuals. You see it used, like here, it's talking about a group of people um, rather than like an individual. Uh, he uses it for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was used specifically for a purpose. Um, so, like, you, yeah, like sometimes I just, I think we read too much into it sometimes. Yeah, this idea that election is rooted in your calling. Like, you have a, you have a purpose and a calling, mm-hmm. and... You can even choose to be a part of that or choose not to, but you have been made for yeah. a purpose, and you've been brought in this story for a purpose. And for the people of God, they they find themselves as members of the elect. Uh, I always love when I do quotes on a podcast so people can't <laughs> tell that I'm doing my finger thing. Um, but this, uh, but I feel very connected. I know, to what you're right? Saying. It makes sense. <laughs> uh, but this idea that that we are, you know, we're a part of this group of people that's chosen for a purpose to bring light to the outsiders. For the Jews it was to bring light to the Gentiles. Yeah. For us, I think it's we've been predestined. We are we are members of an elect group of people that have a purpose and a calling to bring light to those in darkness. And what's different about what you're saying there is it's not about who's in and who's out necessarily. Absolutely. And that's kind of what we turned it into. Right. Um, so I mentioned in the sermon this last week, because there was this uh, last week Paul says um the, the elect obtained it. Um, and so in reference to that, I was, I was at my friend's uh, son's funeral, and um, his name was Maji, and he was adopted. And one thing his dad kept saying is that it, uh, Maji was chosen. And it, it, I, I've never thought of election in the sense of adoption. Right. Like, you are part of the family. This is not accidental. This, you were chosen. Right, like you belong here, right, and you are now part of the family. Right. As such, you are now part of the elect. It's not God went shopping and said you're not good enough. I want you for some reason. Um, you know, it's 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 different than that, right? And I like that because for any of these outsiders and Paul's discussion here in Romans or in our context here in our world, the moment that any of these people find their belonging in this community of God's people they find themselves chosen. Hmm. They find themselves with a purpose and a calling. It almost makes me wonder if election's less about God's choosing and us about accepting his choosing. Hmm. Tweetable, baby. Tweetable. So all this kind of brushes up against this idea of replacement theology. Aaron, you want to explain what that is? So replacement theology, in a nutshell, is the notion that the church has replaced Israel as God's special people. And it's it's a ludicrous notion. How do you really feel about it? It's I will punch you, I will hit you in the face with a big fat mace. <laughs> if you believe that. No, it's actually incredibly destructive because it does number one, it it, what it does to our our text is it limits what we understand in the Old Testament. We are New Testament Christians 
and we have no purpose for the first two thirds of the Bible. That oh, by the way, that was inspired too. And the uh, entire New Testament's built upon that. Yeah, and everything that we understand of the New Testament has to be seen through that lens. Anyway, I could go on and on about that. So, it, what it does is we have no purpose for the story of the Jews. Like this is just God was kind of biding his time until he decided to actually show up and do something finally, and we're a part of that. And those people just you know barely hung on because that's all they had. But it, it that's the first piece. Second piece is it absolutely. Um, has no concept of covenant and what it means for God to make a covenant with man and what it means that God's covenant with Abraham and with Moses were secure from everlasting to everlasting. That is what God said. This is something that will be until the end of time. So uh, there, in, when you think about covenant, God never in Scripture undoes one covenant to build another one. Mm-hmm. Ever. So it's not like he was going along and then he undid everything that he'd ever done with the Jews and then took us, Jesus followers, who Jesus Jesus was a Jew, uh, like, and now us Gentiles who are followers of the Jewish Jesus, um, all of a sudden now we're in because we have the new covenant. And so our covenant is special, their covenant's undone. It's an absolute it's a farce. It, 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 it's our attempt. And some people have even said, some, some versions of replacement theology will say that America has replaced Israel. <laughs> uh, which is a whole nother conversation about what do we claim as God's blessing and how do we define being in the covenant? And, well, if you look over there, there's wars all the time. Well, um, you know, I, I have a foundational problem with the fact that what America defines as success is what we believe is the evidence of God's blessing. That feels very Roman to me, not biblical. Um, and so there's all kinds of problems with it. But the idea, and, and they'll, they'll leverage this passage, you know, uh, of Israel isn't Israel is one physically, Israel's uh, spiritual. And they'll say, see, it's, it's, it's America or it's the church or it's those of us who are New Testament, New Covenant believers. It's Jesus followers. It's not Israel doesn't have any part in God's agenda anymore. Uh, so that's kind of the soft version of how I feel about it. <laughs> well, it's really hard to hold that with any of these chapters that we've been going through in Romans. I mean, how many times has Paul said... I mean, the premise of replacement theology is God really wanted it to work with the Jews, but they just rejected it, rejected it, rejected it, and so God rejected that and moved on to a new Israel. And how many times has Paul said in these chapters, By has, no means. Yeah, has Paul rejected his people? Of course not. No, no. And you can't hold the tree analogy we talked about this week. God did not plant a new tree which is what replacement theology does. It says God planted basically a new tree, and now if Jews want to be a part of what God's doing, they can find themselves wrapped into our tree. And and that's not what Paul says. Paul says there's been one tree from the very beginning, uh, the root of the Christ, the trunk of the patriarchs, the, the shoot out of Jesse's stump, it's all, it's all a part of the same story. And these Gentiles have been grafted into this tree. And 
It's just really important to make that distinction because it, it can be a really destructive theology. Well, and Paul says this week, um, if Israel's rejection brought salvation to the Gentiles, how much more would their salvation bring to us? Yeah. Like it would, like it, it's so obviously clear in especially just this section that that is not what is going on. I think another thing too we forget is Paul, and we we've touched on this a little bit in our discussions, but I don't think we've done it on the footnotes podcast though how Paul's writing a letter concerning a gospel to the capital of Rome and how Rome had this theology, um, and that's not an exaggeration, they had a theology about their nation. They had, a knowledge, they had a theology about their political governance of the world. And in many ways, Paul's you, you find hints that Paul's undermining that. I don't know if that's the right word, but challenging it. Yeah, that this is not what the gospel looks like. He's backhanding it across the face. Is what he's doing <laughs> yeah. with with, yeah. with a big fat mace. <laughs> <laughs> but like even just the word, like when he uses the word Lord or when he uses the word gospel, like he he's challenging Caesar. He's challenging this notion that God is about a about a, a physical nation with physical boundaries and physical blessings. Like he's challenging that and. We often read our American patriotism into our own theology, and we blend the two too much. Yeah, I, I think I see it even in his greetings and his letters, right? in my opinion. Like Rome had the, yeah, Rome had this slogan, piety, war, victory, peace. And it was this, I like you, if you want to know how peace comes, you're talking about our American, I mean, I'll, I'll just leave it at this, but it, we have this Rome, <clears throat> excuse me, slip of the tongue there, Rome had this belief that peace comes through returning to the faith of our forefathers, piety, going to war, Mm -hmm. and then winning. And because we do that, and in some sense, uh, we just got back from Turkey studying all these Roman cities that until the Byzantine Empire, they don't have walls around the cities because they don't need them. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, is that that real peace? There's no war. There's no need to defend your city. Is that peace? And Paul confronts this. Mm with this opening to every letter grace peace and I don't know and that's a stretch but I hear Paul saying peace doesn't come through piety war and victory like true peace comes through grace mm-hmm. and it's the only way you get true peace well those people were living in that world's definition of peace it was in right. Pax Romana yes they're living in like this is it did it bring you peace right you're, do you, are you peaceful? You're living. There's no war because we had it. Is this peace? You know, and I I see a direct leap into the world that we live in. We've never experienced war on our own soil. We've never like we live in the yep. in the peace of America. Yeah. You know. I and is our is America really at peace? I mean, look at the news. Look at how we tear each other apart. We scapegoat the crap out of everyone. Which I think is... I, I mean, people are people, right? Regardless of the yeah. time period in history. I guarantee you that's exactly what was going on during their time, too. Like, is this is this lack of war, this absence of conflict, is it actually bringing you peace? No, we're fighting about other things. We're backbiting. We're mm-hmm. chipping at each other. We're elevating some and diminishing others. Like, that's... Is that peace or is peace defined by other terms? Yep. Which makes me think that in a culture that, in the cultural environment that we have right now, maybe our act of rebellion is to chill out, like just to calm down, is to almost not engage in all the fights and battles that are happening. 
um, but to walk uh, to walk above it. Right. Sure. Um, well, the blessed people. I think that's the benediction here at the end. I mean, how how amazing our God is, and how we're supposed to extend that blessing out to others, and hmm. not just walk above it, but I think walk in it, but engage in a different way. Uh, you don't have to go and fight. I think, uh, you know, and I was in Pullman this last Sunday, and Aaron was talking a quote from John Maxwell, and I thought. I thought for sure you were going to use this quote. You use a different one, but you thought for sure we don't quote John Maxwell a lot, but uh, we were we uh, we're throwing out a couple right now. And he said, "As followers of Christ, are we going to correct people or connect with them?" And I think that's going. Are we going to go fight them and about truth and about how we're right, or are we going to just try to connect and engage? and love them and show them the blessing of God. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good question. You know, what brings peace? Yeah. Spiritual piety, spiritual war, spiritual victory, or just grace? It, it makes me think of Acts 17, talking about America. Like, And Paul paints this picture of God moving the nations and boundaries in their times so that people might reach out for him, though he's not far from any, any of us. And we, as America are a nation with a boundary and a set time and God is wanting to use us to reach people because he is not far from anyone it's good so we kind of we're kind of heading this direction but one question we threw out earlier before the podcast was if you're Paul who's your Israel um and so, like an example for me is like I, uh, like I desperately, um, I have family members that I desperately want to come to the Lord. And no matter how you define "quote unquote" salvation, um, like I would love for them to experience the redemption and forgiveness and uh, purpose to be found in Jesus. And uh, several of these family members I have tried. I, I was the young Jesus freak. Uh, every chance I got trying to evangelize to them and it didn't work um what was weird is you know as i grew older and got a family and started my career and then we moved um like and so you had these distance kind of that happened some of these family members started coming to christ it was like what like um one was my brother and he um i i I threatened my brother to try to get him into the kingdom of god and that didn't work apparently it's not a great evangelistic tactic but he, uh, he met with me, and I asked him what happened. Like, how did this happen? And he told me, God won. And uh, what, one thing that's been happening over the couple, past couple times I've preached is I've been talking to people like parents whose heart is breaking for maybe one of their children or um, some, someone who has a heavy heart for a relative and uh, who, hasn't, who isn't walking with the Lord. And I think this is probably a great application for us this week is um, who are we... Tr- who is it that our heart breaks for? And are we really trusting that God is at work right now even more than we are at that? I like that. It's good. I think we have a tendency to think that God's only at work in a certain group of people. And he's letting all the other ones fend for themselves until they choose to 
and if I'm reading Paul correctly here in Romans, it's that how unsearchable God's ways uh, beyond tracing out. Like he's he's passionately pursuing all kinds of people that uh, that we we might see on the outsides and inviting us to to help be a part of that process. But um, I find Paul, like you said, I find Paul at the end of chapter eleven just kind of sitting with a mystery in his mind. I, I, I think he doesn't wrap it up real nicely, like you said earlier. I think he sits at the end of chapter 11 going, I don't necessarily get it. Mm-hmm. I, I know this is what God's up to, but I don't understand it. The, all these Gentiles, but I just bless God how unsearchable his ways, Paul will say. Um, it's just good stuff. So I love that because you have in our modern world in whatever particular group I'm passionate about is the group that we feel like God is cares most about whether that's um, LGBTQ or poverty or single moms or rehab or um, affluent people or people of a certain race or people from a certain background like you can go on and on and on there's these pockets of people that are passionate about and we feel like like, can't you see that this is who God cares about? Like, yes, he does. And the affluent person sitting alone on their pile of stuff is no better off than the poverty person sitting alone on the street corner with nothing. There's both sitting alone. Like, at the end of the day, God's love for all of them is the same. So then, consequently, so should ours be. What I, and what I love about what's coming in the book of Romans is Paul's going to spend the rest of the time defining what is that? Mm-hmm. What does that mean then? If we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Because all this is true, God's love is unsearchable. So what do we do with it? We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's the only thing we could do. Any last thoughts, gentlemen? <clears throat> The only thing I was thinking about how is how ironic it is that you today, without dreads and a beard, look more like you're a young radical son. So, back in Bible college, little little chunkier. (laughs) 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 I've put on a few extra pastor pounds. Haven't we all? Um, Yeah. All right. With uh, that last comment, thank you, Derek. Appreciate that. Of course. (laughs) Um, Thanks for listening to footnotes. We encourage you, if you uh, have any questions or want to engage us a little bit more, let us know. You can find us on Twitter or shoot us an email. Until next week, God bless. Thanks for listening to this week's Footnotes, and please keep the discussion going. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can connect with us by emailing comment at liferotp.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter at liferotp. You can find the individual members of the teaching team on Twitter as well, or just visit us on a Sunday morning and connect face-to-face. We hope you'll join us again next week. And until then, God bless.